This is Peter Franson from SpiritBlade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the SpiritBlade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full-cast audio dramas, visit SpiritBlade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present SpiritBlade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 10 It was Yeshu, Merrick knew. He had never seen death like this, never seen a human tortured like this. He realized then that this is the moment Isaiah spoke of. This is the sacrifice that was made for the sake of justice. This man who was God took the blame and accepted the punishment for what humanity had done and would do for the rest of time. Still, even now, Merrick didn't understand. Other men had been killed this way. In writing Necro, a song style steeped in the blackness and pain of death and dying, Merrick had done years of research on the subject. Many men in history suffered more pain than this Yeshu. By some standards of torture, this death could even be considered tame. Touch him. Merrick turned and looked around him, but no one could be seen. Touch him and know his pain. Merrick hesitated, unsure that he wanted to experience whatever would come next. But he knew he had come too far and was too close to the answer he'd been searching for to stop now. So with slow, silent steps, he crept forward until he could smell the blood and sweat mingled on this man's body. Reaching out with his hand, he moved one inch at a time, fearful of what would happen, but determined to see the vision through to the end. He stopped short once more, weighing one last time his decision to continue— when the choice was made for him by a single drop of sweat and blood that fell from the man's brow and landed on the back of Merrick's outstretched hand. For one indescribable instant, Merrick was one with the man dying in front of him. His being unfolded before him, and Merrick understood the truth. This being was eternal. He had existed without beginning, stretching on through eternity past— He was bonded to another eternal being, two eternal beings, all three part of the same whole, the same God, the only God, all three components, each equally God yet separate and distinct, an existence incomprehensible to a mortal mind, a union so intimate it transcends understanding. And it had been this way for eternity past. For a time without number, this man dying had known nothing else. Even on earth, he retained his link to the other two, but here, hanging in death, something had been done to him. Why? The man managed to cough through blood as he closed his eyes, trying to place himself somewhere else. Why have you abandoned me, father? Merrick felt then what had happened. For the first time in time immeasurable, the link had been broken. This eternal being had been left alone. And for the sake of justice, he was given the mantle of evil. The sum of all mankind's wickedness in all of eternity had been placed on him, covering him completely, so that when his father looked at him, he did so with disgust and hatred. Merrick felt Yeshu's terror build inside. He seemed to know what was coming, having been bonded to the only for all of time and beyond. Merrick was then disconnected partially from Yeshu. Somehow he knew that he was never meant to feel what would come. 
A blast of nightmarish pain and terror fired down from the only and consumed Yeshu in some otherworldly torture Merrick vowed to never know. Insanity tore and ripped at the dying man, shredding the very fiber of his being, damning every part of him. He screamed in agony, thrashing helplessly like an infant as he was reduced to nothing. An eternity of pain intended for billions, concentrated in one moment of holy wrath and judgment. Justice had come, and as quickly as it had, it left. Merrick stood outside of Yeshu again and looked up at his body. It lay still and quiet. After what seemed an eternity of silence, a massive breath entered the man, and he descended from his place of torture, the nails dropping to the ground as if they might have at any time before. In a moment, the man was covered in light that blinded Merrick for only a second before his eyes miraculously adjusted to a brilliance greater than the sun. Softly, the once-dead man approached Merrick and smiled. Then, stopping directly in front of him, he put a warm hand on his shoulder and stated simply, For you, Merrick, and vanished. Merrick stood then, in silence, a single figure in an eternal expanse of nothing, and considered his choice. Isaiah told him a great change would take place in him when he chose to believe. The spirit of the only would take root inside of him and be bonded with the very fabric of his consciousness. Not only that, but he would receive power the likes of which no one in the liberation had ever seen. Merrick thought then of David and the massive powers of destruction he kept locked away inside of him, power enough to destroy a city or maybe even lay to waste a civilization. Yet his power would be even greater than that. Isaiah's words haunted his memory. When you acknowledge your failings, when you admit to the evil in your life, when you believe and rely on Yeshu and the sacrifice he made to liberate you, then and only then will the Spirit come to you. The thought was recalled so easily that Merrick was unsure that it was merely recollected memories of Isaiah's words to him. He could almost hear the old man's voice. Acknowledge. Admit and believe. Merrick closed his eyes and made his choice. He is nearly lost, the illuminant being observed. But they petitioned for him and the others, though they are unaware of it, his brother responded. The vast expanse of the spirit plane stretched out before them. From this vantage point they were witnesses to all that transpired on earth. We've not been sent to aid them once. Why, do you suppose? the first asked. They are learning to have patience, and to trust by faith, the second answered. But their lesson is likely soon learned. Yes, the first added, no doubt we will be dispatched to them soon. The only takes great pleasure in aiding his children. The second nodded in agreement before something distant caught his eye. Look, the one we thought nearly lost is being revived, his brother finished. The only renews him to continue his battle in response to petition, the second breathed in excitement. Yes, the other agreed. Soon we will be summoned to assemble. I feel the summons even now. Let us go and join the others. With tangible excitement, both creatures vanished into the mists of the invisible world. David fell backward as the fire left him and disappeared into Merrick. His mind was his own again, but Merrick lay unconscious in another world. David, what happened? Ran asked urgently as he helped him to his feet. 
David rubbed his eyes, clearing them, and looked up at Ran. He's showing him something. Showing him, Ran said, confused. Showing him what, David? What Merrick needs to make his choice, David answered. All we can do now is wait for the choice to be made. Too late, Ran heard a rustle behind them, and caught unaware was kicked in the stomach and sent tumbling down the hallway. David turned to see Claudia sneering, and Ebony, fully covered again in shade and garb, posed to strike again should Falcor give the order. "'Then while you wait,' the large man smiled, "'may I offer you our hospitality?' David took off running down the hall toward Ran, but Ebony, imbued with unnatural human ability, darted after him and sprung off of the wall next to him. Landing in his path, she delivered a sweeping kick that brought David roughly to the floor. "'Make no mistake, boy,' Ebony growled deeply in warning through a manipulated voice transmitter. "'Your youth will gain you no sympathy from my blade.' With liquid movement, she placed a long obsidian dirk at his throat, bleeding black poisonous fluids." Four Atlantis troopers rounded the corner behind Claudius, catching up to assist their employer. Falcor pointed to both men on the floor. Secure them. Still doubled over in pain, Ran managed to produce a small vial with the Atlantis logo printed on it. With a final effort, he threw it directly at Ebony's back. With inhuman reflexes, Ebony snapped her arm around and cut the vial, but discovered it had broken in her hand on impact, driving glass into her palm and mixing her blood with the liquid that drained freely from the broken vial. Ebony cursed sharply in the shade and tongue and screamed at Ran. But rather than take revenge on him, she held David up for Ran to see before plunging her poisoned blade deep into his side, causing the boy to cry out in pain. Ran's eyes widened in horror. David, no! He screamed and lunged at Ebony. With almost no thought, she turned and sent a spinning back kick driving into Ran's chest. Ran had no time to feel his ribs crack as he was sent rolling through the air to land in a heap on the cold metal floor. David slumped to the ground, unconscious, as his veins became discolored, slowly turning black, evidence of the poison coursing through him. Ebony wiped the remaining liquid on her leg in disgust and retrieved Ran's unconscious body. "'Bring them all to R&D,' Falcor barked at Ebony. As Falcor turned to leave, Ebony watched him go with curiosity and wondered for the first time why it was that she followed this man. Then, without further contemplation, she slung all three men over her shoulders and hurried off to the lab. In less than an hour, Ran awoke tied to a chair in the research and development lab. Merrick and David had been placed in cryotanks similar to what he had found himself in before. Claudia stood proudly in the middle of the room, looking on the fruits of his labor, and Ebony crouched just outside the door like some animal waiting for prey to come within her line of sight. A man with gray hair dressed in a lab coat approached and handed Falcor a data pad. These are their current charts, sir. They've both stabilized nicely. The boy is in phase two, as you can see, and we have halted him for now. Excellent, Dr. West, Claudius said. What a shame it is that yet another has fallen victim to the Xeno Plague. His aging will continue... Only should he be freed from the tank, sir, the medtech replied. We've stabilized him at only six months' growth from where he started. However, it would be easier for my team if we could properly prep them both. Their clothes may interfere with the readings and... We have no more time for delays, Claudius barked, his eyes flashing with sudden anger, then suddenly calmed. After tonight, do what you wish. He looked at Merrick's floating body and felt the pride of victory. For now, this is merely insurance... Dr. West seemed noticeably confused, but continued his work. "'Are you ready, sir?' he said, producing a vial filled with a softly glowing green liquid. 
the extract has been prepared. Rand looked around for some way to escape, but his bindings held fast and gave him difficulty even breathing. From where he sat, he could still see part of Ebony outside in the hall. He wondered then about the chemical mixture he had managed to expose her to, and hoped it was doing its job. "'What say you, Mr. Galvanic?' Claudia suddenly turned to Ran. "'Shall we begin? I see you are awake now to enjoy this moment in history.' Claudia strolled casually to stand over Ran, who remained helplessly secured to his chair by cables made of xenomite fiber. "'I'd originally thought to have you frozen like the others, but as you are a man of science, I thought you might appreciate seeing where it will take humanity next, especially considering you won't be around to experience the broad application.' "'You're diseased, Claudius,' Rand said through pain, lancing at his ribs. "'The Shada have completely blinded you to the truth.' Claudius smiled a devilish grin. "'Not likely. They may have controlled Claudius Falcor once, but that Claudius is gone. I'm the one in control now, and they know it.' Barely able to contain his excitement, he followed one of Dr. West's technicians to the other end of the room, and sat in the medical hover unit prepared for him. As he sat down, several other technicians put down what they were working on to see what would happen next. Even Ebony became slightly more visible as she cheated her body angle toward what was taking place. Everyone realized the importance of this test. It would mean the success or failure of the entire project. To Ran, it meant the life or death of mankind. "'Have you prepped the cloning tanks?' Claudius asked as two techs secured him and connected tubes and monitors to his body. Yes, Dr. West took the liberty of answering, but the clones themselves won't be fully formed until tomorrow. Their dermal and follicle development hasn't yet reached even 5%. Prep them for fusion anyway. They'll have what they need if this test is successful, Falcor stated matter-of-factly. The technicians present all seemed a little unsettled at the thought, but updated their project plans accordingly. When all was in order to the satisfaction of Dr. West, he motioned for everyone to step backward from the hover unit. After making some final adjustments to the machinery that seemingly wove in and out of Claudius, the doctor placed the tube of glowing extract into an injection port fitted to Falcor's neck. Satisfied that everything was now in place, he stepped back himself and pressed down on the small control unit in his hand. A quick hum buzzed the air, and a blue field of energy sprung to life in a cylindrical shape around Claudius. Bioprotective field at 100%, a tech reported from a monitor station. Prep for phase one complete. West nodded without speaking, focused now on the serious and dangerous task at hand. Corrosive countermeasures, he queried to no one in particular. Prepped and set to maximum, sir, another tech reported. What the drack is that for? Claudius barked. Sir, we don't anticipate putting it to use, Dr. West explained. But should some form of biological hazard result from this test, we have to be prepared to stop it. Falcor glared at him with underlying hatred, but said nothing, and instead only smiled one last time at Rand before relaxing back into his seat. Initiate phase one, West continued. Claudius winced as the liquid extract shot like fire into his bloodstream. In the unseen world, two armies assembled, one high in the heavens amidst the stars near the outer rim of the universe, the other on the surface of the earth, which they had made their home for thousands of years. The army on Earth amassed outside the underground complex that housed the experiment being attempted by Claudius Falcor. The dark forces of this army numbered in the millions, stretching out in the distance nearly as far as the immortal eye could see. At the head of it all, suspended in a cloud of living darkness, was the leader of this campaign, the Nephilim. 
proudly he looked down on the army given to him by his evil lord. Tonight he knew he would ascend from being a servant of darkness to being the very one by which darkness is defined, greater even than the master he served, for he was more than any demon could ever claim to be, both man and demon. He thrived equally in both realms. Brothers, he cried to the multitude spread out beneath him, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. The army of demons began to laugh in agreement, and scattered shouts of victory skipped through the crowds. Tonight, we defy his plan for this planet and make our own. Again, cries of victory rose through the ranks. It is true that before now we have been stopped by his hand. We've seen brothers fall to his power and the people of Earth turn to him even as we surrounded them with our greatest warriors. But as the years pass, the only becomes increasingly distant from the planet he claims to love. Many of us have nearly forgotten what it is like to wage battle with one of his immortal servants. He has removed himself, his warriors, and his words from this planet, unwittingly leading us to this night. In the last century alone, we have scored victories we once thought impossible. Why? Murmuring of excitement began to build in the Nephilim's audience as they fell victim to the enthusiasm his words gave them. Because of his neglect! Because he is ever so slowly giving up on this little planet and the people that have so consistently turned from him. He has left them to their own devices as he has foolishly done to us. Humanity has turned against him. I have seen their rebellion firsthand, living as one of them. They have been left so deaf and dumb to the spiritual world that they have been unable to distinguish me from one of their own. And now, the only will pay the price. The crowd's excitement grew, but the Nephilim quickly continued, discontent to finish until their enthusiasm had risen to a feverish pitch. Tonight, we enter the world of men, but not as visitors who must, after a short time, return to our home in the spirit world. Tonight, we enter the physical world and are reborn into it. The Nephilim found himself shouting now in competition with the volume of the massive army whose enthusiasm continued to build. Tonight, we drink water from the Tree of Life. We drink it clothed in the human bodies its power was intended for. Tonight, as the first, I will lead you in using that power to remake yourselves. And turning indestructible eyes toward our creator, we will defy all that he is, all that he claims to be. The Nephilim's eyes raged with fire as his own intensity grew. He will look on us and know that he is incapable of destroying us, as it is his power that will be used to make us unstoppable. The deafening roar of ten million demons rose into the mists of the invisible world as the Nephilim turned and prepared to lead the charge into the complex. A shadowed figure watched them proceed underground and smiled to himself. He'd learned everything he needed to know. Activate full scan, Dr. West ordered. I want to keep track during all five phases of his mutation. Don't you see what you're tampering with? Rand pleaded with the lab technicians. All ears remained deaf to him as they each obediently carried out individual tasks. Suddenly, Claudius lurched, and his entire body tensed. His complexion shifted to red and then violet as computers all over the room chirped with urgency. 
What the drack is happening to him? A junior tech yelled over the chaos of computer noise and the grunts of Falcor's violent spasms. Dr. West did his best to maintain order, quickly taking over at the shocked young man's station, but found himself in a state of wonder as he examined the data showing on the screen in front of him. Claudius Falcor's entire genetic structure was failing. That's not possible, he said as he checked and rechecked the data. His entire molecular structure is just breaking down. Everyone present watched in horror as Claudia's skin began to liquefy. Get him to a cryo unit! Someone yelled over the exclamations filling the room. There's no time! Dr. West shouted back. Just make sure that shield is holding! Blood, skin, muscle, and bone all began dripping to the floor in liquid form as Claudius shuddered a final time. Following a moment of silence, his remaining tissue suddenly collapsed, splashing to the floor. With the force field up, the liquid couldn't escape and formed a puddle nearly one foot deep inside the wall of energy. The room became suddenly still, as the computers had nothing left to analyze, and everyone stood frozen in shock. Only the sound of Falcor's remains dripping from his blood-soaked clothes could be heard. Rand sighed in relief. He never would have wished that fate on anyone, but could take comfort in the fact that the experiment was a failure. Dr. West slumped into a chair behind him and let his data pad drop to the floor. The entire project was lost. Millions of credits in research and testing, and they would have to return everything to formula. He breathed in slowly and exhaled, then gradually sat up straight. Corrosive still prepped? He asked a technician. Yes, sir, the tech stammered. Purge the containment area and flush it out, West ordered. In the silence of morning, the technician began bringing up the appropriate system on his monitor. Dr. West stood and looked at Ran while speaking to another technician. Take this man to the storage sector and find a room for him. We'll deal with him and his friends after we've sorted out this mess. The technician obediently moved to untie Rand, but stopped halfway, staring at the containment field. Dr. West followed his gaze and saw the liquid remains of Claudius Falcor begin to stir. At first, it seemed as though the room were swaying slightly, causing the plasma to make small waves back and forth across the surface, but then the first bubble appeared swelling slowly on the surface with a thick skin and then bursting, revealing several more bubbles starting below it. Rand suddenly knew he needed to get out of that room as fast as possible. The technicians all returned to their posts, monitoring this new data, while Dr. West approached the force field to get a closer look. The liquid became more viscous every second, temporarily gaining a skin at times, before that consistency ripped apart, endlessly churning back into the mixture. "'Sir, take a look at this!' a junior tech exclaimed. "'I'm listening,' Dr. West said without moving. "'His molecular structure is reforming, rebonding, but...' "'The junior tech seemed confused. "'But what?' West turned and faced the young man. "'Well, it's not so much repairing itself as it is starting over.' "'A low-pitched noise, almost a groan, rose from the conglomeration of flesh "'as organs became recognizable in the churning blood.' Keep those scans running, West said anxiously. How's that force field holding? At 100%, sir, a tech excitedly replied. The pool of blood became smaller as mass was taken and used to construct a skeletal system and muscle tissue. Before everyone's astonished eyes, Claudius Falcor was reformed. But not as he was before. He seemed to have returned to a youthful 30-year-old man with no sign of balding in his rich auburn hair and a perfectly toned body. Completely exposed, 
his clothes still lying on the unit behind him, not one blemish could be seen on the surface of his skin, not a single scar or imperfection, his torso, legs, and arms all bulged with muscle, yet he retained a slim, agile appearance. He was unlike any man they had ever seen, yet he was still recognizable. The grinning face behind the bioenergy field was that of Claudius Falcor. Although much younger in appearance, his proud stature was unmistakably that of the CEO of Atlantis Incorporated. Do you know what I am? The reborn Claudius asked Dr. West. The doctor began typing furiously on his recovered data pad, amazed at the new information scrolling down the screen. This is incredible, Mr. Falcor. I never dreamed anything like this. Falcor thrust his arm through the force field as though it didn't exist and fastened his iron grip on Dr. West's throat. I said, do you know what I am, Dr. West? In futility, the defenseless doctor gripped Claudius' arm in a vain attempt to free his windpipe from the crushing force closing in on it. I am God now, Dr. West. Everyone present heard the sickening pop as the doctor's windpipe collapsed and his neck cracked, shifting his head to sit off-center from his body. With a casual wave, Claudius tossed Dr. West across the room, where he impacted the wall, leaving a massive blot of blood and brain tissue, and slumped, twisted, and unrecognizable to the floor. Three technicians managed to escape through side doors, but the two that remained found themselves thrown to the floor by Ebony, who flew in from outside the room. Claudius wasted no time in exercising his newfound power. Though both men tried to regain their footing and escape, Claudius sank his right hand deep into the torso of one, while he picked up the other by the top of his head and brought both men slamming together in front of him. One man's skull burst on impact, and the other's body was completely severed at the waist. Clothed in blood and murder, Falcorn let loose a forbidden laugh of joy at his power to take life with so little effort. He continued musing to himself as he wandered to a nearby locker and removed a lab coat, shirt, and pants, which he proceeded to change into. Ran remained still, secured tightly to his chair, and Ebony seemed to be persistently in a trance, staring absently at Claudius. After putting pants on, Claudius noticed the two of them for the first time, although now he looked on them as insects. Ran could see from the look in his eyes that even Ebony meant less than nothing to him now. He could only hope that she would see it, too. Ebony, my dear, he spoke with a rhythm that was almost hypnotic. Kindly kill this boy while I go wash up. In confidence, he turned and exited into the room connected to the lab. Ran heard a water faucet turn on next door as Ebony slowly advanced on him. You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Unique Tracks, Jason Livesay, Bjorn A. Lynn, and Dominic Hauser. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth is a thing of the past. Look, your truth just isn't true for me, okay? The truth does not require your belief. It simply is, regardless of your personal convictions. I think the world's been blinded, Ebony. Everybody claims to be spiritual, whatever the drac that means, but nobody really knows anything about the spiritual world. Merrick, this is crazy. You can't talk like this. And they'll do anything to keep it out of our future. It's Atlantis! They found us again! An alien race has blessed us with amazing technology. 
Merrick, the world we live in is incredible. While a race of demons destroys who we are. Do you believe in the supernatural, Mr. Vandarius? We shall believe in your blood, humor. <laughs> Brothers, tonight marks the end of our subjection to the only. <laughs> Humanity will be wiped from the map of history. We've traveled across our world and even into another. What we can see with our eyes is of little consequence in the grand scheme of things. It is what occurs in the other world around us that should have us concerned. What the press just happened? Was that the... The other world. We've been hunted by humans, aliens, and things I don't have a name for. I'm the future, Vincent. The ultimate life form. There's too many of them. One goes down and three more take its place. All because we're looking for the one weapon that can bring an end to this conflict forever. Give me the sword! A weapon known only as the Spirit Blade. Oh, I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, well tell me what this feels like. For more information, visit spiritblade.net.